Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Piano Pod. I am Eric Hunter. I'm Yukimi Song. And I'm Clara Jones. If you are just joining us for the first time, The Piano Pod is now a bi-monthly podcast where we interview some of the brightest talents in the industry. Each episode features a guest speaker who's making bold new innovations that have the potential to change the way we think about piano or even music in general. Today, our guest speaker is Andrew Inkovet, piano teacher, entrepreneur, and the creator of the revolutionary new Music Color Method. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yay. Guys, great to see you all on this cold, blustery day here in New York City. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it is brutal outside. Mm -hmm. So, Andrew, um, we're going to get into the details in a little bit, but just very briefly, what is the Music Color Method? What's it about? Uh, Music Color Method is all about um, giving more access to more kids' uh, music. So it's an adaptive, inclusive, and fun curriculum and um we started this uh, in my living room just me and my son when he started asking for lessons uh and i didn't realize that there was kind of a gap in music education at the time uh where there was really nothing i could find for a preliterate kid Mm. um to learn music and enjoy music except for you know you have the clap along sing along kind of things but he got bored of that really fast. Mm. So this became a homeschooling project that has now been uh, shared with the world. <laughs> That's fantastic. And so uh, how does the color portion come into it? So color is being used as educational scaffolding. So what I mean by that is that we're, we directly label what we want our kids to do. Mm. Um, so it's putting colors on um, even our fingertips with Mm. washable markers, uh, colors on the keys, and then color notation that looks like colored blocks. So then it becomes as easy as uh, a color matching game, which any uh, three, four-year-old can do. And you don't have to actually say, oh, this is a C, and it's below the staff, and it's got this little line through it, and this is called a clef, and it's like, what? (laughs) This is very simple. You see the red thing is is the red key, and you have a red finger. How many times do we have the red box on the page? Oh, there's five. That means you play it five times. Oh, I get it. We can keep going really fast. And then we just steer them because they have their own motivation now to practice, and they can keep going, and it's much easier to steer a body in motion than one that is completely stalled, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to ask Andrew. So, before you created this um, color method, which I I think it's just incredible, uh, when you were looking for a teacher or a method for your three three year old son, right in the beginning, yeah. What so, did you discover or did not discover in terms of like uh, method method books? Yeah. So first of all, I live in Park Slope, Brooklyn, which is a very oh. child friendly neighborhood. Right. So I figured there's got to be child services here. You know, people have probably had the same need. So I started just asking other teachers, uh, can I sign up? You know, I even I even met with um, some famous pianists who were like, oh, we don't take anybody until we're, you know, teenagers. You know, the, the higher the level the pianist, it seems like the, the higher the level of the student they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I, I had gone to school to be a music teacher back at NYU. I actually had a scholar in education scholarship, and but I never made it my focus. Mm. So it was just like kind of like telling me, <laughs> life was tired of telling me to go back and be a teacher. And this was a great activity to bond with my son as well. So For sure. I started looking in the Brooklyn Public Library. They have a massive collection. Oh, of, I remember that. It's beautiful. Uh, too bad we can't get there right now. <laughs> uh, That's right. But the, uh, so there's tons of method books. There's also tons of scores. If you're ever looking for obscure mm -hmm. scores. Yep. Um, I ordered hundreds of dollars of books on Amazon and I, the closest I came to was the Suzuki method, which was, okay. I see that he's getting kids to play first. Mm. Um, but then there's like almost, there's like a, another gap between playing and reading so i was like right. okay i i can try to bridge that and that's when i started playing around with color because i had spent 10 years as a um, information user experience designer doing websites for american express uh wow. manhattan bank all these so you know in that world right when you're looking at a, a screen where you put a button means something, right? Everything has a reason to be. There's real estate on the screen. It's the same thing on the page. Everything on the page has to have a reason to be there. Otherwise, why put it there? Mm. And, and what I realized from the world of UX design, the, the, the more concrete you can have a single audience, the more clear your message can be. Mm -hmm. So what my big epiphany was looking at these method books, most of these method books had three audiences on the same page. Mm -hmm. It was like yes. notes for the teacher, notes for the parent, and then right. something for the student. And even just yesterday, I would have a six-year-old came over, socially distanced, masked lesson. Yeah, yeah. And um, I begged the parent to please please bring her in because I'm having a hard time with a six-year-old over the screen, mm. you know? And I'm showing her uh, uh, a lesson book. I'm not going to mention names. <laughs> and it's a great one. I, I use it for a lot of students. And she's looking at the page, and there's a teacher's duet in there. She's like, oh, whoa, what the heck is that? I don't want to – I don't know what that is. Well, yeah, they get intimidated by those. Yeah. 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 And she's just like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I see. Yeah, so – that is a big problem. I, I can understand why publishers do that. It's you know the cost of paper and shipping is very expensive, right? Which is also what I discovered when I started making method books myself. And I really wanted to stick to this. Okay, one page is for the parent or right. the teacher, and one page is for the kid. And then I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I can't fit any more songs because the the cost is going to be just ridiculous. It could be like fifty dollars mm. for my book. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Clara, uh, let me interrupt. Yeah, so, go ahead. I'm just curious because you just mentioned uh, experiences at American Ex Express or whatever, and then you you have this you know music educational background at N NYU. So please tell us about your background. Um, it seems like you have many interesting experiences in the past. So well, just it, yeah, it, it's been a lifetime trying to figure out how to explain. <laughs> 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 the best I've come up with is that I've had a a uh, a uh, wide angled career path, 
with a mm. lot of interests, a lot of parallel paths. Yeah. So I went to NYU with a double major in music education and jazz performance. I am not really a jazz guy. <laughs> I was a <laughs> rock maniac. I had hair down to my waist. I was a heavy oh metal gosh. playing guitar. So, but I realized I, I wanted to learn jazz because, you know, those guys can play anything. And I did learn a ton. Um, so at the end of the day, I, uh, I ended up getting very involved with the music business in New York City and interning at some amazing places, eventually working on the marketing team that brought you artists like Guns N' Roses, um, Tracy Chapman we did, who's wow. now, and we did uh, Anthrax, Megadeth, <laughs> all these really cool. <laughs> toxic really cool. bands. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, my first day on the job was uh, going to Metallica backstage and I was like, oh my God. Uh... <laughs> yeah, you can ask my wife about our first date at Metallica. <laughs> oh, yeah, I want to hear that story. You had a headache. <laughs> and I remember you even <clears throat> working in Hong Kong for a while, right? Yes, yeah, so that led me to... Uh, uh, actually, at that job, I actually was a, I've always been kind of self-starting and I mm. started learning how to use uh, desktop publishing software. And one of my bosses was one of the first Mac guys in New York wow. City. So I became the editor of this newsletter that then published our research on heavy metal wow. <laughs> to MTV's Headbangers Ball. Oh, okay. And that's when I started hanging out with the MTV folks and I started writing <laughs> scripts for them. And then I said to them, hey, you know what? I should actually be hosting the show. I'm writing the scripts. <laughs> and long story short, it, it turned into me becoming one of the first VJs when they launched in Asia and mm. moved me to Hong Kong. So I spent five years in Hong Kong, only one as a VJ, but then I was doing... Uh, other things. I started film scoring while I was there. I started wow. uh, doing things with the Mac users group and getting into technology. Mm. That's when we we started an internet marketing business, which led That's me into that world. Mm. So it's always yeah, been yeah. lots of things going on. I've also been an actor off Broadway with the Panthers <laughs> and Red. Wow. Oh, no, I didn't know about that. Much. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I was in uh, some independent movies and stuff yeah it's a lot of a lot of things going on mm. but i think and at the end of the day my my real uh reason for being is teaching and mm -hmm. it, it took me all those years to have my son say you know why don't you teach me <laughs> see that's very important too right we have children yeah. so yes i get inspired it i mean changed my life for the better mm. that's really yeah. amazing right Andrew, I wanted to jump in and say, I love the story of your career path because it it's so non-traditional right. and but every every bit of it, you know, has a role to play. Right. And yeah. uh, and, and that's why I love this method so much, because, you know, coming from this diverse background that is very non-traditional, you were able to just step into the piano world and see what was out there and see kind of obvious gaps that I think a lot of us have recognized and felt for some time. Um, I wanted to show everybody what you're talking about before. This is the first volume. Uh, I don't know if this, this is an older edition. Have you put out a new one since then? Uh, I keep updating minor tweaks. 
Okay. Uh, so that's that's still valid. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I've been using this with my son, who's five and a half. And just to give an example of what you're talking about, um, like here's the first piece in the book. And for anybody who's watching this on video, you can see it. Of course, for audio, I'll describe it. But basically, you have the piece laid out in colored blocks and the title and a single illustration, and that's it. There's no extra information to confuse the young student. And then on the preceding page, you have the instructions mm. for the parent or the teacher. So when you talk about you know, graphic interface and the layout and how much of a difference that makes in the way we absorb the information, I mean, it's important at any age, but particularly for young kids. So, mm -hmm. I've, I've I've had some feedback where people felt like they didn't get to the reading on the staff fast enough, mm -hmm. and there is a definite reason for that because it's, they're just not ready. I mean, the original age group that I wrote this curriculum for mm. was somewhere between three and six years old. You know, most of those kids are just not ready to think abstractly like that. Um, so it really depends on how old your student is. To, and also, if they're, you know, obviously, if they're a prodigy, some gifted Mozart, they can probably jump ahead, right? right. Um, but yeah, most kids, if it's too hard, they hit this, this hill of like, oh, it's too hard. I don't want to do mm. this. And then they quit. Mm. And that's what we're trying to combat. We're trying mm. to get them to like, this is fun. Every time you come, it's a win. And mm. every time you, you go home, you know exactly what to do without anyone sitting with you. Mm. And then so then you can keep them for years and years and years. Most of my students at Park Slope Music Lessons in my school stay with us 5, 10, even 15 years. Uh, so my son, as I told you, was the student number one. <clears throat> he's wow. now He's now 18. And he's okay. at Brown University, so he's no longer a student. So but that's been a, a nice long ride. <laughs> so for awesome. me, this method is uh, relatively new, right? I heard about this, you know, recently. And I want to know, what does this color come into? Like, I mean, like the very specific, how does it work exactly? Each color represents a different key. That's how... I just put um, this rainbow on the keys. The only mm. difference I made was I tried to make it from a UX perspective, I tried mm -hmm. to make it a little bit easier to see the difference between like purple and indigo or, or sure. things like that. So I put gray as one of the colors uh, in I there. See. And <clears throat> so as we start, kids start to associate, okay, C is, is red. Right. So they can start using that as their visual language to compose immediately. Um, and then, and, you know, when I learned solfege, I always thought of uh, movable dough. Mm -mm. Oh, actually, let me ask you guys. What is it for you? Movable or fixed? Fixed. Uh, fixed. Fixed. I had to learn both. Um, uh, interesting. Because of the way so I just said, who would ever want fixed? That's crazy. <laughs> right? Because... I don't know. I always thought movable just made more sense to me. You know, it's do, re, mi, fa, so. And I just move it around. But then as I started talking to more people and then I started noticing my students, they're constantly fixating red is do and do is C. Yeah. And that just makes it easier. So I started asking some of the best sight readers I know, who teachers in my studio, my mm. 
music director at the church who's an amazing sight reader. And they said, oh, it's fixed. I was like, mm -hmm. I said, well, why fixed? And they were like, because how can you not have fixed for 20th century music? <laughs> there is no dough. You don't even know what dough is, right? I was like, ah, oh, that totally makes sense. But then it also just makes sense for the kids, too, now. Because mm. I can always sing do, do, di, re, re, me. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, and then they, they know exactly what I'm talking about, right? I yeah. see. So color becomes kind of the substance is kind of the substitute for the note. Mm. But then in your question about keys and phrases, I actually used to use quite a bit this translucent colored tape. Oh, wow. Uh, and I've started, so for the more advanced kids who start getting onto the staff, right? I, I like to show them patterns right away. So we look mm. at a pattern, say we see the first phrase in the A section. Sure. And say, look at this. And I, I'll just use a, any color, you know? Right. But then I'll say, where do you see that phrase again? And we like translucent color tape. It's like a highlighter, basically. I put it there. I'm like, oh my God, look at that. A section, A section. Or this is A1, right? Why? Because So it's, by just having these big blocks of color, you've now organized patterns into chunks. And that's right. all about this pattern recognition that we do. That was... That has been super successful with that's really clever. Andrea, I wanted to ask you. I know Yukimi has some questions she wants to ask you about the business of music color and promoting the method. But before we get to that, you mentioned scaffolding earlier. And I wanted you to talk more about that concept because that was something that I learned about when I was in graduate school too. And I think it's a really important concept for teaching. And also it ties into kind of your philosophy about the method itself. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about those. Yeah, um, great, great question, Mike. So my wife is a, um, uh, she went to Teachers College, Columbia Teachers College for early childhood um, psychology, developmental psychology. So she was always, she's always teaching me these terms and things like that. That's where I got it too. Yeah. Yeah. You went to teacher's college. Right? I, I went to TC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic place. Um, it is. So scaffolding is, is, if you think about, you know, the buildings that are being built, they always build an, like a little structure on the outside to help them get the stuff up there. Right. So that's kind of a scaffolding. It's kind of a helping tool that is temporary and is then taken away. Uh, I think about it like when we were teaching Alejandro, my son, to ride a bike, <clears throat> there was super expensive wooden bikes around there out on the market, handmade from Netherlands for $500, no pedals, very low to the ground. And I saw that and I was like, oh my God, that is a brilliant use of scaffolding because basically yes. you're getting them to focus only on balance first and then they can do the pedaling later. Right. Once they have the balance. So it's the same thing I've applied. It's like this is the balance bike method to teaching music on the piano. So first we get them playing and then we get them to start recognizing more abstract concepts. And then we start teaching them how, how to read. So it's more like a language. <clears throat> you know, it's you don't teach uh, kids, you know, grammar in the first language when they're learning a foreign language. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening, you're speaking back, you're telling stories. 
And then later on, you're like, oh, that's what the word looks like. <laughs> or that's how I write it. And, and there's always a difference in playing level and reading level or speaking level and reading level, right? So it's much more akin to a language. So it, scaffolding is different than some people think of crutches, right? Even though crutches <clears throat> can be temporary, right? But if you, if you stay too long in your crutches, what happens is like you atrophy, right? If you have a broken leg and you never give up that crutch, you'll never actually get off the crutch, right? Yeah. So that's the thing. I've, I've had people criticize my colors without even understanding what the philosophy is. They say, oh, this is just a crutch. They're never going to get off that. I was like, no, we have six phases of notation that constantly progress further, 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 so that they are, by the time they're done with this, they're on the staff, they're reading sharp signs, they're reading flat signs, and then the, the, the colors just naturally fall away after time. Hmm. Yeah, I just want to jump in there. Um, just to remind people, for anybody who's a professional musician who's been reading music all their life, um, it can it can be difficult to like put ourselves back in the mind of a child. Those symbols are actually incredibly abstract. There's nothing about the symbol of a whole note that shows that it's long, you know? Mm. Um, it's very, very unintuitive for kids. And that's why I think it requires six phases to like work up to that if you really want them to be comfortable all along the way, especially since kids don't really read. Um, comfortably until quite a bit older than they can start learning music. So they call that the curse of knowledge. And that exactly. comes from uh, mm. uh, an economist came up with that term, but it's very, very appropriate to anybody who's coaching or teaching anything in any field. You forget how hard it was to learn what you know. And then you start explaining with, with words that, don't even make any sense yet you know it's like you're using your own language to explain a foreign language <laughs> right. yeah so everyone has to be mightily aware of the curse of knowledge i realized that my training program <clears throat> the one that uh eric you went through and uh, you can be went through a little bit right um, mm -hmm. uh had it was kind of a brain dump <laughs> of massive amounts of information, all front loaded. And it's as I was going through it again, because I'm redesigning it now, mm. I'm breaking it into three different uh, levels, basic, advanced and pro. I'm seeing that I didn't follow my own advice uh, that I've been giving to students <clears throat> of, of this whole, um, growth spiral which uh, i didn't even talk about yet but i see it's this whole i i was guilty of the curse of knowledge saying okay you guys all here it is <laughs> a gigantic uh box of information go figure it out i mean it is a lifetime of information in there but it it could have been presented better and that's what i'm so excited about right now because i've really yeah. uh, this streamlined thing, it yeah there's yeah. things that you don't need to know on day one that would be super helpful on day 30. Mm. So that kind of thing. Mm. That's where sequencing comes into play, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Great. You know, one of the hat you wear is a businessman. <laughs> yes. So I, I kind of want to ask you about business side of the method. So first question would be, so you chose to do to licensing 
your method instead of just selling method books like traditional method book uh, method does. So can you explain to us about? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it's it's really because it really does require a complete shift in mindset of like if i just put out my 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 sheet music right now people are like what the hell is this i don't understand this uh and it's like it would take a long time to explain even the books that are out now they're not really explaining everything it's just like like if you've gone through the program mm. this is great because you're like oh i have the tools here it's already pre-printed it's nicely bound and I can just present it to the parents, and there's some little tips for the parents to help them. But there's a whole, it's like the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole gigantic thing mm. that um, is really a series of mindset shifts, thinking outside the box. Mm. So, one of my uh, favorite thinkers is um, he's got this book uh, called Deep Focus. Uh, what's his name? I'll, I'll get it. <laughs> anyway, he was talking about how, you know, getting deep focused work done. And, and he has another book about uh, so good um, that he can't ignore you. And you, I guess you can Google who wrote those books. <laughs> uh, he was saying that as you get to be an expert in any field or in anything you do, you get to the edge of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where you start to see the adjacent opportunities that you would never, ever see until you got to the edge. And uh, I feel fortunate that I've gotten to the edge in many different worlds. Hmm. So then I could actually say, oh, my God, that idea and that idea, they've never been combined before. Let me pull those in. Hmm. And that has helped me um, see a lot of business opportunities that were not available before. Um, plus, I've taken a lot of uh, training, mm. uh, coaching and training. One of my mentors calls it uh, going through the process of putting on the green glasses. Like mm. all of a sudden, you see opportunity everywhere that you never saw before. It's like, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. By the way, I think the author was Cal Newport. Is that yes, right? Yes, Cal Newport. Mm. Yes. Fantastic. Um, that guy is brilliant and incredibly productive. He writes books as he's still a professor somewhere. And, um, yeah, one of my favorite guys. It seems like you're selling your textbooks or the method books on Amazon, but you prefer that, you know, teachers would get training from your method. To... Yeah, actually, that's mm -hmm. an announcement that uh, I'm going to make here publicly that those books are not going to be on Amazon for long. Oh. They're going to be pulled. Because there's a, uh, I'm going to have them only for licensed teachers through my website. And mm. you can buy them in bulk at a discounted rate. Um, the other thing is that there is another opportunity for parents out there that's coming. I can't announce yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sounds exciting. Yes. Yeah. Great. So um, how, how many countries you've reached out? Do oh, you know? That's... that's uh, I, it's really hard to tell I um, mm. because using Amazon's distribution network was really uh, surprising and how many people just discovered uh, me without me ever even knowing. Uh, like uh, about a year ago, I woke up and found in my inbox uh, 
an article from the Telegraph UK that was a whole profile on me. And I was like, what the? I was like, how did this happen? Oh, and wow. uh, I, I t reached out to the author via Twitter and she was like, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the books. And mm -hmm. I actually did this with my kids and she wrote about it. And mm -hmm. Wonderful. I, I also have a Spanish version of my first book and that has been selling really well actually in uh, Mexico and South America. Uh, my wife is from Colombia. So um, mm -hmm. we... We, I had a lot of help <laughs> in translation. <Yes. laughs> oh, great. Plus, one of my teachers helped me a lot, too. Right. So Amazon was part of the uh, marketing strategy, I guess. But marketing is a whole another, you know, ballgame, um, even in business. You know, but everybody has to kind of uh, become a salesperson of your own profession, you know what I mean? So... What is your strategy? It seems like you uh, you have some professional advice, but as much as you can um, reveal your secret about marketing. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Well, it's, it's, uh, well, that's a, that's a huge question and mm. it's not really a secret. It's just that <laughs> most people completely, um, uh, I guess they underestimate what, it is to run a business marketing should be like 60% of your day's activities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even if you're doing something else, mm -hmm. like if you're a teacher, even, um, it's, it's the same thing. Like, uh, if you're starting a, a restaurant or something or a bar or something, you should be like working on getting people to taste your food instead mm -hmm. of worrying about how fancy your, your business card looks. Right. There's right. certain steps to the order. But the biggest problem I think most people, most music teachers that I've talked to have is that they think it's a one quick fix. They said, if I just knew how to get big on social media, or if I could just have one thing go viral, mm. yeah. it, it, it doesn't work that way because it, you've seen people go viral and they just, they, they last for a day and that's it. You know, you have to have something to take advantage of all these opportunities so that when opportunity does strike, then you actually can make it work. Mm. So marketing is really about crafting a clear message. And no, first of all, so here's, oh, okay. If you want to know the big secret behind marketing, this is huge, but I didn't understand this until I spent thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. So the whole thing about marketing is about knowing who is your audience first, yeah. right? Yes specific audiences, not multiple audiences, just right. one audience, pick one audience, make that your king audience. Then figuring out what is the offer you're giving them and mm. why is it such a great thing? Mm. And then figure out the messaging around it, how to tell that story. And most people start with like trying to tell this story, but not being clear about the audience. Mm. So it's like, it doesn't connect, you know? Mm. But when I started teaching i made park slope music lessons i said okay very clear my audience is park slope parents just like me in my neighborhood my my one zip code okay i know how to talk to them mm. hi i'm andrew i'm a parent just like you and this is what i'm looking for helping kids like my son with music what we do is this and why we do it is this and we do it better because of this and this is how much it costs booked the lesson here's the price boom 
right? So it, it gets to be from audience to offer to message. And when you have like, I've had many t teachers say, well, I say, who's your audience? Who's your primary audience? And they're like, well, I have like one guy, he's 80 years old. He wants to just play, you know, classical music. And I got three teenagers trying to learn enough to get into college. I have, you know, five kids who are like, you know, two years old and they're, they're just doing mommy and me. I'm like, wow, that's like three different audiences, whatever. You really have to pick one. Mm. And, and, and actually really just talk about that one, right? And then you can be clear that when people get to your website or people know they're talking about you, it's like, oh, they're talking to me, exactly me. It's not like, do I fit in this category? If you focus on that singular audience, you will generally find more of their friends who are just <laughs> like them, right? Yeah, and I want to point out that you have been incredibly successful with this strategy because Park Slope Lessons has how many students now? Uh, we were at 110. And, um, wow. yeah. How many teachers? Uh, I'm just hiring uh, a 15th now. Yeah, not there you not go. everybody has a full caseload because it's not everybody wants uh, right. a lot of students. They have other gigs somewhere else. But um, yeah, it's it's been very, it's been, I'm, I feel humbled and blessed and grateful. Sure. Uh, I know that there's, you know, I've, a lot of these kids, I've worked with them for 9, 10, 15 years, and I'm like family to them. They're like yeah. family to me. So... And and then supporting my teachers is is super important. I spent this whole last week preparing for our recital coming up, mm. and we have seventy six kids signed up. And I'm like, oh my god, it's a long mm. recital. We're gonna have <laughs> two different concerts, <laughs> yeah, and, and they're all gonna be pre recorded so we can m maybe trim some of the dead air time. <laughs> right, uh, good idea. Yeah. Um, Andrew, we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you quickly. Um, you know, and this year we have to ask everybody, how has COVID affected you? And um, I mean, obviously it's difficult for everyone. People are dealing with it in different ways. How's it been? Yeah, well, I, um, I feel extremely grateful and fortunate and blessed to not have had anybody I know get seriously sick or, or die from it. Um, my, my lessons business, as soon as... Um, the city announced that we were going to have shutdowns. I I I had a mandatory training for all my teachers on Zoom because I've been using Zoom for years for music color coaching. Um, so I did a full on training on that, and by the next week, uh, all of our lessons were switched to virtual. We did lose a uh, maybe in the first month we went down about thirty percent, and then we jump back up to like maybe like 15% lower. And now <clears throat> I looked at the end of the year, we're really just down 5% overall. Totally. Wow. wow. That's, that's great. I'm very lucky and feel very fortunate, but also I think we were prepared for, for this because uh, my school is a virtual school in that I send teachers to students' homes and they have a very strong bond with these people. Mm. Uh, these teachers and students uh, are very um, bonded. So moving to a virtual thing feels like, oh, okay, I see you. I know you, right? 
Yeah. So it's a little easier than I know. There's some of those big schools that are uh, once a week in a giant room and with a group class. It's a little harder. Yeah, certainly group classes for sure. If you had one piece of advice for music teachers, piano teachers, what would your most important piece of advice be for them? Besides, would... buy your method, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had a shirt. I would say um, listen to all kinds of music. I can't mm. um, stress that enough. There, there's so many music teachers who are so. Um, fundamentalist almost and purist and it's like mm. oh, nothing but Bach for me <laughs> or, yeah. or yeah. we only do you know 17th century piano concertos whatever uh you know i'm i listen to all kinds of music and i i love teaching everything from the guinea pig olympics metallica to uh van halen you know when van mm. halen died i was Showing some of my students some some uh, cool riff, riffs, and then um, you know Beethoven, Bach, of course, and all the masters. Listen to all kinds of music and be not afraid to teach it. But I would say that using a, the timeline of of musical history to know when to teach something is also a useful idea. Mm -hmm. Like young kids need to have consonant sounding things um from the classical and baroque period you know mm. you jump too far ahead and you're doing Debussy and all these heavy colored 13ths and 11ths uh it, it just doesn't make sense mm -hmm. and, and the same thing in from blues to to rock to jazz you know that kind of thing yeah well i think that's great advice um i mean certainly we never know what kind of music we're going to be called on to teach in order to be able to connect with the student. Mm. So True. I completely agree with you. Um, even if it's the guinea pig Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> have to check it out. Maybe do a closer on that. Yeah. Where can we obtain information and inquiry of your method? So uh, if we go to my website. It's, it's a new website. It's www musiccolormethod.com and that's with one c in there so music and it's m-u-s-i-c-o-l-o-r method no space.com and i'm gonna actually create a a coupon code Ooh, for your nice. audience <gasps> oh wow piano pod 21 Awesome. Awesome. As whoever buys the uh, our new basic training, which is going to be much more affordable than in the past, um, will get a special bonus training from me. All right. I might be the That's first one to sign up. Great. Thank you so much. All right. So now the fun segment is here. This is the new segment. It's called uh, the Piano Pod Rapid Fire Questions. So we will ask fun questions to you and you just need to give us a short answer for each question. Okay. So make sure it's it's a short answer, okay? Okay, I'm more nervous right. about this than anything. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't screw up. It's don't, really important. That's right. Yeah, exactly. You, you the music in the background. <laughs> yeah, no wrong answers. All right, are we ready? Yes. Yeah. All right. What's, what is your favorite food? Uh, uh, depends <laughs> on the the day of the week. Thai, Pick one. Chinese, Korean. All right, oh, great. All good choices. Uh, K 
Cats or dogs? Cats. All right. Obviously. <laughs> All right. Next one. What is your word to live by? Or words? Ebullience. Oh, good one. Oh, good one. All right. What is the most important quality you look for in people? Uh, passion. Oh, great. What is the worst quality in people you want to stay away from? Uh, ignorance. So which historic uh, figure or composer do you want to learn or take lessons from if he or she were alive? Bach. Bach. Woohoo! Right. Bye -bye. Right. Next one. Yep. Which historic figure or composer do you wish to hang out at the bar if he or she were alive? Well, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it might be uh, someone more like John Coltrane. Mm. Oh, <laughs> all right. Name one piece in your current playlist. One piece. Oh my god. Um, what's the? Uh, I can't even remember the names of these songs. But um, all right, I'll, I'll give you one that comes up all the time. Soy Joe. Okay. Um, what's a book you're currently reading? Uh, the Promised Land. A Promised Land by Barack Obama. Oh. Okay. Mm. Mm. Oh, yes. And what's your desert island piece that you only get to listen to for the rest of your life? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, wow. Hard questions. Is that one piece for the rest of my life? Uh-huh. Oh boy. It might be La Mer by uh, WC. Oh, I love nice, it. nice. I love it. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. All right. I think we're going to end it there. We've tortured you enough. <laughs> <laughs> Those are hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the whole fun of it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think that concludes this episode of the Piano Pod. Thank you so much, Andrew Incavet, for joining our program today. And thank you, as always, to the audience for tuning in to us. Uh, we want to remind you guys that uh, the Music Color Method is available um, on Andrew's website, which is musiccolor.com. The link will be in the description. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review on whatever podcasting platform you use. If you're watching it from YouTube, please hit the thumbs up button and be sure to subscribe to our channel. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. The links are in the description below. If you have feedback for us, please leave it in the comments uh, or DM us uh, via social media, or you can also email us at thepianopodnyc at gmail.com. All right. Hope to see you for the next episode of The Piano Pod. Bye, Bye everyone. Everybody. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.